I'd like you to open your Bibles today to Hebrews chapter 6. And um, we'll be reading verses 6 and 7. While you're looking up that reference, I'll tell you a story. A city dweller moved to a farm and he bought a cow. Shortly afterwards, the cow went dry. When he spoke to a neighbour farmer, the farmer expressed some surprise. The city man said he was also surprised. I can't understand it. If ever a person was kind and considerate to that animal, he said it was me. If I didn't need any milk, I didn't milk her. And if I only needed a litre, I only took a litre. The farmer tried to explain that the only way to keep the milk flowing is not to take as little as possible from the cow, but to take as much as possible. And that is also true of the Christian life. Those who only turn to God in need really miss the real joy that flows from a daily infilling of his spirit. Hebrews 6, 7 and 8. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces crop, is useful for those whom it is farmed, receives the blessing. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed and in the end it will be burned. This passage is about the difference between having a productive or an unproductive Christian life and the associated blessings that go with each type of lifestyle. And talking about thorns and thistles, it's interesting that they placed a crown of thorns on Jesus' head when he was on the cross. And I think what's interesting is that when Adam and Eve sinned, the ground was cursed and started to grow weeds and thistles and thorns and such. And so what was actually placed on Jesus' head was the result of the curse on the land. A real slap in the face to God. But as we know, and as Leona pointed out today, that Jesus wins and the devil loses and the power of God is greater than the power of sin. Whenever rain-soaked ground is made productive, it receives the blessing of God. And when the rain falls upon the ground, it's soaked up, soaked up by the earth, and as a result, the plants and the trees become productive, producing fruit. This in itself... It's a blessing from God. And as Christians, we need to respond to or soak up the heavenly rain from God. 
But what is this heavenly rain from God? Folks, it is the very substance that produces fruit in our lives. It is the word, in fact. This heavenly rain is the word, that's with a capital W, and who is the word according to John 1.1? The word became flesh, didn't it? So Jesus is the word. And and we receive from the Holy Spirit. The New International Version talks about the land that drinks in the rain or or soaks up that rain. It is the soaking up of the rain that causes the growth and out of the growth comes fruit. The soaking up of heavenly rain also causes growth. Growth causes productivity and productivity brings divine blessings on fruitful believers' lives. Is your Christian life fruitful? Are you producing fruit? There's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, patience. Are those fruit being produced in your life? Like if you had a fruit meter and here was zero and here was ten, you like, oh, I'm really struggling to get a three or a four. Or are you like, yeah, no worries, God's strong in my life, I'm sitting on eight, nine. Here's an exercise for you. When you go home today, turn to Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and write down a list of the fruit of the Spirit. And then go and tick the ones that you're good that are good and put a a little cross next to the ones where you need to work on and then pray about it. Say, Lord, help me in this area. Easy, isn't it? (laughs) That part's easy. (laughs) Alrighty. Do you soak up the heavenly rain? Are you productive in your Christian life and... Do you experience the fruit that comes with being a Christian? Now I want to talk a little bit about backsliders. We all know what a backslider is. I've been strong in the faith, but now I'm not. (laughs) If it grows thorns and weeds, folks, you know it's worth nothing. Suppose for a moment that a person who has received his heavenly reign is now or has now become unproductive. They will grow thorns and thistles in their life, so to speak, which are worthless. This relates to God's original curse on the ground, which we talked about earlier. It's actually in Genesis 3, 17, 18 and 19. And this suggests an unproductive Christian life. What is to become of someone who has an unproductive Christian life?
Christian life. Well, the end of verse 8, which we read in Hebrews 6, says worthless and is in danger, folks, of being cursed. And in the end, it will be burned. Now, this is not talking about the fire of hell. There's nothing in the text that suggests that. But when the fire passes through the land, the actual land cannot be burned. I mean, it's no point insuring your block against fire, just the house, because... The dirt will still be there after the fire. So when the fire passes through the land, the actual land cannot be burned. It is the thorns and the thistles that are burned which leave the land free, folks, to be recultivated. And so it is with the unproductive Christian life. There is the risk of being cursed and having all unproductive fruit Burned. So we need to continually check our fruit, which we talked about earlier, and check how we display our fruit. And maybe, maybe you do have the fruit of the Spirit. Let's say you have kindness and you're a kind person, but do you always express that fruit? I believe that we all have all of the fruit but we don't always appropriate the fruit that we have. Have you ever felt impatient at times? We all do, don't we? So we have the fruit of patience but sometimes we don't appropriate it when we are feeling, you know, a bit stressed or whatever. So we need to continually check our fruit and how we display it. Otherwise, we run the risk of God's wrath. But, there's always a but, for those that persevere, there is hope. And God is interested and concerned about those who have pledged their life to him. It is inevitable that Christians will make mistakes, that Christians will make wrong decisions from time to time. God has instituted sanctification for our betterment. What exactly is sanctification? It's the process of being... Let me see. When I was a small boy, we had a black and white TV. So you'd select the channel, but then there was like the fine tuner. Does anyone remember the... And you'd, you'd play with the fine tuner and then, oh, yeah, you get a, a good picture. So if we have received salvation, it's like, okay, we're on the right channel. But sanctification is like the fine tuner. 
you know, and God brings uh, brings things to our mind about our daily activities that He would like to make changes to our life, and we accept what He says, or we read an instruction in the Scriptures, or something like that. And well, here's a good one. Um, let's say. Thou shalt not steal. It's a commandment and we shouldn't do that. And perhaps we have a problem in that area and God taps us on the shoulder one day. Hey, Stu, remember the commandment? You read it two years ago, you've forgotten it. You're not allowed to steal things. Okay. So then I say, okay, I repent, I'm sorry. That's the work of sanctification because now I've learned something from the scripture, put it into my life, and I'm not a stealer anymore. Then we work on the next area. And by the time you get to heaven, you'll be perfect. (laughs) But that's the work, basically the work of sanctification is like improvement and honing our Christian lifestyle. And God will point out areas to you. He knows what areas are your problem areas and he will point them out to you and if they're not fixed up, he'll just keep pointing them out to you until you, uh, until you make those changes. As you make those changes, then God will give you responsibilities and testing times And you'll see Christian growth and you'll see maturity in your Christian life. Even if we get to the point of backsliding or drifting from the faith, Jesus won't let us go. He wants to hang on to his children. He's got ministries and missions for you to do. He's got blessings for you to receive. Jesus' desire is to burn away the rubbish in our lives and make us ready for recultivation. God wants to fertilise your life with the word. And the seed of that word will grow, folks, into fruit. The fruit will shape your life, no matter how you feel about yourself. And maybe you've got the guilts about something or you might feel that your walk with God can improve. And that's okay. Because God has the desire to help you. God has the resources to help you. So why not take the step? It's up to you. It's up to you. Whenever rain-soaked ground is productive, it receives the blessing of God. If it grows thorns and weeds, it's worth nothing. And for those of us that persevere, folks, there is hope. And throughout the scriptures, 
we see opportunities of hope everywhere we see in Scripture. Abraham was led by God. He didn't know where he was going, but he had his hope and his faith in God. Moses was not a very good speaker, but God sorted him out and said, well, we'll get someone to help you. Gideon took out 55,000 soldiers with 300. Joshua marched around the wall seven times. Well, six times, and on the seventh day, seven times. They shouted and played their trumpets. The walls fell down. Paul was shipwrecked, thrown in jail. He continued to have his hope in Christ. And no matter what our situation might be, and all of our situations are different, we have a God, folks, that we can put our hope in. We have a God that we can put our trust in. Peter stepped out of the boat, didn't he? And as long as he held Jesus' hand, he was okay. And no matter where we step, folks, always take hold of Jesus' hand and you'll be okay. You'll be okay. When, G- when Peter let go of Jesus' hand, he began to sink and he reached out. And it's like that in this world. If we try to go it alone without Jesus, we tend to sink and struggle. But the moment we reach out and take Jesus by the hand, folks, all is well again. It's not just a matter of getting through the pearly gate. That's Anyone can read John 3.16 and believe in Jesus and get through the pearly gate. But we have responsibilities as a Christian to go where Jesus wants to send us. For some, they'll go overseas. For some, they might go here and there. For some, it's serving right here in your own church. I was listening to a lady recently, two Saturdays ago, she came to our church and brought a message. She has lived in, she's British, she's lived in Israel for 12 years. And she's been doing a lot of research on the term in the Bible called the ends of the earth. And when she looked up in the Hebrew about the ends of the earth, it talked about the coastal regions and the islands. And although she's from Israel and she's British and she has nothing to do with Australia, she believes that Australia is the place that is referred to as the ends of the earth, Australia and Pacific Islands. And she went on to talk about how the Anzacs, or 
not the Anzacs, the Light Horsemen. Um, defeated the Turks at Beersheba and gave Israel back to become a nation. And how Australia has been instrumental. How the Spanish explorer referred to Australia as the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And folks, we're in the end days. You all know, and perhaps we're in the last hours before the rapture. But we live in the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that revival is going to break out soon. I believe God is doing something and he's preparing his bride. It's not a bad denomination. He's preparing his bride for such a time as this. There's work to be done and God will show you as long as you're open and willing, he will show you what needs to be done. Remember, whenever rain-soaked ground is productive, it receives the blessing of God. And I want to challenge you today to receive from God. Allow that rain, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come to your life, to soak into your life so that you also will be productive for God. So what is it to be for you? Fruit or thistles? Remember, God has the desire and the resources to help you. Why not take the step? Let God cultivate your life today. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by Wattle City Church. If you Google Wattle City Church, you'll find us on Anchor, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, and a whole bunch of other platforms. Feel free to listen. We pray that you'll be encouraged by this message and by other messages that you listen to. We praise God and we pray blessings upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. We are so blessed to be here with you. And uh, it's been a great, great time. We've enjoyed ourselves so far. And just to see how you're so receptive of the Word of God, it makes a big difference. And um, as we go, we always pray and ask the Lord what he wants to do in different places. And as we've been praying, and especially this morning, I felt a lot of calmness, a lot of peace. And we were asking the Lord, what does this mean to us? 
I say it because I'm about to do something new. So when I heard what was, was being shared here this morning, I felt like, wow, it's the same God. It's the same Holy Spirit. He's already speaking to me. He's already poking me and telling me I'm about to do something new. Something new. And as we were praying this morning, he also said he's going to release fresh breath. And that is an eternal breath. That's why when those words have been repeated again, I have felt in my spirit, I need to do the same. Because that is what this shofar is about. It's about releasing the breath of God. Shofar is connected with the breath of God. And... There's a few things that I didn't know until I went to Israel last year. And um, there's two instruments that are going to remain eternally. And one of them is shofar, and the other one is harp. That's why when you read in the book of Revelation, you see there's shofar and there's harp. How do I know it's shofar? Because when the Bible calls it Trumpet, whatever is translated as trumpet, that is shofar in Hebrew. And this is why, in the book of Exodus, when God came to introduce himself to the children of Israel, in chapter 19, you know, you remember, the power, uh, God descended and he told them to prepare themselves for three days. And they came around the foot of the mountain. The sound, as they waited for God to reveal himself, the first thing that sounded was the shofar. The sound of God was preceded by the shofar. And when that sound went out, there was thundering and lightning. Because the sound of shofar came out, it was followed by thundering and shattering. And do you know what happened? Everyone trembled. And they told Moses, no, we are not coming anywhere there. You go listen and come and tell us and we'll do it. And they walked away from the presence of God. The Bible is telling me we are waiting for something. And that what we are waiting for is the trumpet sound. And the Bible says, and the trumpet shall sound. The shofar is going to sound. And the dead are going to rise. And we who are alive are going to be caught up with him. This is the shofar that's going to be sound. That's the sound you're waiting for. Not the sound, not another sound. That sound which sounded in Exodus 19 is coming back. But this time is coming back to close completely. And for us to enter in. Just want um, 
I just what felt before I went ahead to encourage you with those words. And whenever they sounded the shofar, Numbers chapter 10, for example, when you go in war against land and an adversary who is oppressing you, you are going to sound an alarm with shofar. Then you will be remembered before God, your God, and you'll be saved from your enemies. When you sound the shofar, you release the breath of God. And because you release the breath of God, the cry comes before him, the eternal breath of God. The shofar brings into mind the lamb, that was, the ram that was caught up at the thicket in Genesis 22. And by extension, this picture continues. It's a picture that we see as a sub, um, all throughout the scripture. And that is what we are waiting for, to sound. And today I'm going to sound this shofar before I start sharing what God has laid in my heart as a release of the breath of God upon you, upon this place. Because he's going to do something new. God is doing something new. Whether you believe it or not, there's something new happening. And what you're going to see is a new level of what God has. It's not a coincidence that that word today has come through three different people. It's not a coincidence. Do you receive it? Yes. Amen. Amen. made the declaration and here we come through the declaration the Lord is good all the time amen amen amen, amen. so we're gonna pray together in, uh, and um, continue to stand upon that word 
What I believe the Lord is telling me is that I have been anointed for this. Amen. I've been anointed for this. Turn to your neighbor and tell them I've been anointed for this. I've been anointed for this. What? What have you been anointed for? Whatever you are going through, you've got enough anointing to take you through it. Whatever you are experiencing in your life, you've got through enough anointing to face it. That's what I believe the Lord is telling us. I've been anointed for this. Amen? Amen. Because it's only you who is going through it. And if you believe the Lord has anointed us, has given us that anointing which is so specific to us. In first letter of John, chapter 5, I've been anointed for this. Are you with me? Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him that begat love him also. That is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. There's so much love going around today. (laughs) God is telling us his love. And he's telling us when we love him, we enjoy the freedom that Christ gave us. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. But this is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And first five is that whosoever that overcomes the world, who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe? Yes. Then you have an overcomer. You are an overcomer. You know, there are so many things in the Word of God that we don't believe. Because we've heard them so many times that they don't really, uh, they are not new to us. But they are realities. And that is the reality, that we are overcomers. And if you didn't know that Jesus is coming back for overcomers, because in the book of Revelation when I read, I hear about those who shall overcome, shall eat with him the fruit of life. Those who shall overcome, those who shall overcome. Why? Because we are overcomers. Then the question still remains, what do we overcome? 
the world, that is which is around us. Because you are not going to overcome if there is no resistance. And you are not going to talk about victory where there is no war. Isn't that true? You can't just wake up and say, I'm a victor. A victor of what? What did you conquer? God has given us this life to conquer something. And given us the task to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the Bible calls us. We are more than conquerors. Because he is a conqueror. And he said we will do even greater things. Do you believe it? I'm bringing to you a message of inspiration today. I'm not trying to teach you, I'm trying to inspire you because God is about to do something today, this week, right now. His anointing is flowing like a river for that purpose. Turn to your neighbor and tell them I'm anointed for this. (laughs) Are you speaking with the confidence? No, not yet. Can you turn to them again and tell them, I'm anointed for this. Beating your chest. Yes, I'm anointed for this. That is true. You are anointed for this. You know why you are anointed for this? <laughs> Amen. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to go through a few scriptures together. It starts from verse 22. But we are not going to read from that verse 22 all through. The title there, if some of the Bibles they put, In my Bible, it puts the power of God over the devil. But what Jesus is talking about here is brings to us something that is very important to us. Because verse 22, it says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him. Oh, poor guy. This guy was suffering. He was possessed. He was blind. He was dumb. Can you imagine someone having all those conditions together? And he saw, he heard, because Jesus healed him. The cause of the blindness, the cause of the dampness, was the possession. But look at what happened. There was a bit of a commotion because it's a collision taking place here. The people were so amazed. And verse 24 it says, And when the Pharisees heard 
How did they say, this fellow does not, does he not cast out devils, but by Zeldabor, the prince of the devils. This is when Jesus came and answered, because he knew their thoughts. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Now, Jesus is bringing a concept, a very important concept here. He is talking about kingdom. And if Satan casts out Satan, then he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Did he just say that devil has got a kingdom? Yes. He just said that. Devil has got a kingdom. But he continued to say, but if by Zeobabah I cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Whoever they shall be your judges. But verse 28 said, but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Did he just talk about another kingdom there? Yes. Yes. Which kingdom? God's kingdom. We are dealing with the two kingdoms. And when you know which kingdom you belong, you know there is one thing that kingdoms do. Kingdoms fight for dominancy. And it's only the dominant kingdom that will prevail. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm anointed for this. (laughs) 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 Amen? Oh, I can't believe I'm anointed for this. Each kingdom is seeking to dominate each other. And only the dominant, the powerful kingdom will remain. He continued to say, how can you enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except first bind the strong man, and then you will spoil his house? He just gave the secret there. The secret is, we have to look for the strong man and bind him. And we have overcome. You remember Goliath, when he faced the children of Esau, he was the giant. And he said, who is going to fight with me? Because he knew that no one could fight against him. He was strong. He was powerful. But there is something that is demonstrated there for us to see. That the kingdom of God does not fight like the kingdom of men using strong men and powerful people. God chooses to use the weakest. God chooses to to use the weakest. 
to win the battle. He chose to use a dying man on the cross to bring us eternal victory forever. A dying man hanging on the cross. That is Jesus. And through that, he gave us the victory. And that tells us the battle that we are fighting is not a battle of display of power. It's not a battle of show that we can do like the nations today they do on Anzac Day or parade or a triumphal procession or trying to display what, what the latest weapons they have made. It's not that kind of warfare. Far from it. Our warfare is spiritual. And that is why in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us the depth of our warfare. He tells us our warfare is not carnal, it's spiritual. And if we are going to win our battle in a spiritual way, then it means we have to rely on God. As he has said, Jesus has said it very clearly, but if I cast out devils by what? The Spirit of God. It is by the Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Are you seeing how the scripture is fitting in it all? It's, it's like a zip. The cheeks are fitting all together. It's by the Spirit. That is our warfare. But you know, when we fight in the spirit, the manifestation is in the physical. We pray for the sick in the spirit, but we receive the healing in the body, which is physical. Amen? So you are, are you following? Are you, are you with me? It is it's in the spiritual, but the manifestation of the victory is in the physical. When you see someone who is free, you know that person is free. And that is what I want to be. I want to be the person that walks in the freedom that Christ has given to us. Because the, the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When you see someone who is full of joy, you know something spectacular has happened in their life. That joy is a manifestation of victory through Jesus Christ. You can never buy joy from any shop. If you find any, please, can you give me a call, a text message as soon as possible? <laughs> because it's not there. You're not going to find it there. It can only found through victory. It's a fruit of victory. It's a fruit of breakthrough. We fight our battles differently. And that is what Jesus was telling them. Now, he didn't stop there. Because you remember in Matthew chapter 6, the disciples were wondering, what should we do? How can we have victory? And he told them, prayer is the key. 
But when you pray, don't pray like other people, religious people pray. Don't pray like others, like others. Did you get that? Others pray. But pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. In other words, your prayer should be coming from a place of identity. So what is your identity today? It's coming from a place of belonging because you belong to a father. You belong to a family. And when you step in, you are stepping into a place called our father. God is our father. But he didn't stop there. He said, when you pray, ask him, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. What kingdom? Did we say there's two kingdoms before? And then we are calling the kingdom of God to come? When the kingdom of God comes, how does it look like? How does it look like when the kingdom of God is in operation? We say, Jesus told us, when we pray, we ask, your, your kingdom come. And your will be done as it is in heaven. Who knows that heaven is a perfect place? So if heaven is a perfect place, when heaven comes on earth, how is the earth going to look like? Perfect as heaven. But what it is telling us is that heaven, earth is not perfect as heaven. There is some work to be done. And this is why you are anointed for this. You are anointed for this. To bring the heaven on earth. You are anointed for this. To bring the will of the Father on earth. You are anointed for this. To bring the presence of God into your family. You are anointed for this. If there is anything that is going to be perfect in your house, it has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. But you are responsible because you are the one who has been given the key to unlock the heaven to come right there. What is that key? That key is salvation. When Jesus came, he came to give us salvation. He brought salvation to us. And what does salvation mean? The Greek word translated salvation is zozo. It doesn't just mean salvation. It means wholeness in life. It means wholeness in life. Jesus came to give us wholeness in life. A whole life that is full of wholeness. Shalom. A life that is full of himself. No one says in John 10.10, he came to give us life in abundance. Now, life in abundance is life that is full of fullness. Today, when you click or go to the Facebook everywhere, 
everything they are talking about is wholeness. Wholeness, wholeness. All these meals are full of wholeness. When you eat these meals, you're going to lose weight. Oh, ah, all this. But I tell you, the source of wholeness is in Christ Jesus. Amen. They are just borrowing the reality of what we have, what we've been given. Jesus came to give us life. And that is why he says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I'm, I'm being anointed for this. I got this word this morning, and I'm so excited. I've been anointing for this. To to preach good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the imprisoned. And renewing of the sight to the blind. To release those who have been crushed. If you've been crushed, don't worry. You've anointed, been anointed for this. You've been anointed for this. This is what Jesus came to give us. And he has released it upon us. In Christ, we find all this. We are rooted in him, full of this goodness. Because... In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, How Jesus was anointed with Ruach HaKadosh, in other words, with the Holy Spirit, and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all the people oppressed by the adversary because of God. This is our inheritance. It is our blessing. I'm going to read for you another passage in Luke, chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 17 through 21. Then he came down with them and he stood on the level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there with great numbers of people from Jerusalem and the coast around and Sidon. And they had come to hear him and be healed from their diseases. Verse 18. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being healed. And the whole crowd was trying to touch him because power kept going out of him. Power was coming out of him, and people were touching him. And everyone who touched him was healed. You thought it was only the woman with the issue of blood who, was ta- who touched Jesus? Many other people touched him. And when they touched him, they were healed. He looked at his disciples and said, How, how blessed are you? How blessed are you poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. How blessed are you who are hungry, 
for you will be filled. How blessed are you who are crying now, for you will laugh. I want you to reflect on those words. There's one important aspect of what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the, the poor are blessed. He's saying that the hungry are blessed because they will be filled. He's saying that those who are crying now, they are blessed because they are going to laugh. Can you see something there underneath about what he's trying to say? What Jesus is saying is there's something that attracts his attention. And that is anger. When people are hungry, he is attracted to a hungry person. He is attracted to a person who is experiencing pain in their body. He is attracted to a person who is poor because he wants to bless them. Every one of you knows a magnet. Yeah? So Jesus is attracted by poverty. That's what he's saying. He's attracted by hungry. He's not attracted by thirst. If you thirst for him, you're going to find him. Are you getting me here? Yes. That, is, that is how he works. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you knock, it will be opened. Those are the people that attract him. People who have realized I've got a need that has to be met. I have a cry in my heart that Jesus needs to meet. Those are the people he's after. Are you one of them? Are you saying, Lord, I can't bear this pain anymore. Lord, I've had enough of this. Those are the people he's attracted to. Don't be religious and say, oh, one day, I know one day God will heal me. I know one day God will heal me. He wants to heal you one day, and that day is today. Don't put it for tomorrow. It's today. It's today. Don't say, well, what we are experiencing as a family, we know one day God will come. He is here. He's here. Don't put it off for tomorrow. Don't put it off for tomorrow. That is a message for another day. Because when I say that, I remember Pharaoh. When Moses went after the frogs, and after he cried to God, Moses, can you take away these frogs, please? And Moses went and cried before God, and God told him, go and stretch your staff, and the frogs will go. And Moses came and told Pharaoh, I've come to take away the frogs. And what did the Pharaoh say? Come tomorrow. You mean you want to spend another day with frogs? <coughs> you want to spend another night with frogs? That is a religious mindset because you think your God is not enough today. God is enough every day. 
God is enough every day. God is enough every moment. You are anointed for this. Amen? Do you believe it? Let's pray. Let's stand up and pray together. I am anointed for this. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Are you hungry? Are you sick? Are you poor? The Lord has said you are blessed. You are blessed. Why are you blessed? Because you're going to receive healing. You are blessed because you're going to receive peace. And the word I'm getting from the Lord right now is emotional healing. Someone has been going through emotional turmoil. And you, you just think it's just because of age. No, it's not because of age. You don't have to agree with depression. And think it is part of your life. Don't let depression define your life. The Lord is releasing healing for emotional depression. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. What God has set up for you today is setting you in a path of breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And I just want to believe you to believe with me that in this church, you're going to experience breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough because the anointing of God is here. And Father, thank you for igniting us to a different, to a higher level of faith where we can touch and experience your presence like never before. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, because you call us overcomers. You call us overcomers, Lord God. We don't need spears, guns, and nuclear missiles. All we need is the Holy Spirit. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for a new release of your breath. The new release of your breath. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you are sick in body, I'm just believing with you right now. We'll be praying with people. Come to the front when that time, uh, as, as we finish, because we don't want to hold everyone, but it's come and we pray together, as, as we believe together. But um, um, I just feel a release upon each one of you because you are anointed for this in Jesus' name. And don't forget that from today, 
get to know whatever knocks at your door, you are anointed to face it. You've got enough anointing to face it. For the anointing of the Lord breaks the yoke. And Lord, I thank you that every yoke is broken. Every yoke, every generational yokes are being broken right now in Jesus' name. Father, families represented here are being set on the right course. Father, in Jesus' name, from today, in, our, in every family, they are going to experience your presence. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Every relationship, Lord, we bring it to you and declare breakthrough. Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. You are the God of love. And Lord, let your love flow. Flow like a river in every household. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Remember, you are anointed for this. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, James. Thanks for listening to this podcast by Wattle City Church. If you Google Wattle City Church, you'll find us on Anchor, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, and a whole bunch of other platforms. Feel free to listen. We pray that you'll be encouraged by this message and by other messages that you listen to. We praise God and we pray blessings upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word, well, for your saving grace first, that, Lord, we can, we can stand here in your presence and open up your holy word and we can listen to, to stories of, of what you've done and who you are, Lord. Father, I ask that you will anoint me right now to speak your truth by the power of your Holy Spirit. We commit this time to you. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, I thank the Lord too for healing, <laughs> that I can stand up here today. We've had um, a bit of a bumpy week with health, but um, thank the Lord for the rest as well that we've had. Um, sometimes it's a forced vacation from the busyness of life, isn't it? Sickness can be. Um, so it's amazing what's happened since the Lord gave me this topic. Today um, I'm going to talk about the boat. The boat. We've just come back from conference, some of us, and um, that was very exciting, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> and we, we got to have three days of hearing these amazing stories of amazing ministries, people that um, the Lord has been using in amazing ways. Um, people have been planning churches, they've been on, on mission trips, planting schools, seeing people saved, healed, you know, all of that good stuff. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but when it can be, number one, really exciting to hear someone else's story of what God's been doing. And then sometimes we can think, 
It's a little frustrating because we might have little things going on in our lives that we've been really praying for and we haven't sort of seen God move in it. But we're still really, really encouraged. Can you think of any amazing, miraculous stories in the Bible, any of your favourites? Anyone got any favourites that really inspire you? Baptist. John the Baptist, yeah. Romans coming up and uh, yeah. yep. Uh huh. Thank you, Jesus. Well, well, I've got one. It's one of my favourites, but it's also one that um, it inspires me, but it really challenges me. And it's when the disciple Peter walked on water. <laughs> Yes. Anyone done that? (laughs) Me either. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, let's... um, I want to look at the story. I'll try not to be too long-winded. But it's, it's interesting. Leading up to a story like that, as I was looking at it, thinking, what led up to that? What, what was going on in the scene? And, um, you know, uh, obviously Peter was pumped full of faith. So one event that had just happened was John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, and he'd also been supernaturally used by God to prepare the way. He was, he was preaching that people needed to, to come and they needed to be baptised and repent of their sins because the heaven, kingdom of heaven was near. And then he introduced people to Jesus when he baptised Jesus himself. So what had happened, he was imprisoned and um, lots of circumstances happened and he was beheaded. So Jesus had just found out about that and I assume the disciples had just found out. Um, And it says, just leading up to it as well, in Matthew chapter 14, Verse 13, I'll just read a little bit of that bit. But it said, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted deserted place by himself. So he tried to go away by himself in a boat, which they often did. They used the boat to get away from the crowds. But then multitudes, the multitudes heard of that and they followed him along the shoreline. And Jesus was moved with compassion, so he came onto shore, and that's when he, he, he it said he healed the sick, and he was there for quite some time during that day, even though he was grieving that John the Baptist has just been killed. And then that evening, he fed the crowd. So that was the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus had just found out that very day. He tried to go away and grieve, but he was moved with compassion. And he ministered anyway, and he fed the 5,000. So the disciples had had a very up and down day. They found out that John the Baptist had died, and they probably were quite despondent about that because they probably thought that he would have a powerful ministry at the same time as Jesus, but cut short. And then Jesus has compelled the disciples when they said, what are we going to do about this crowd of people that needs to be fed? And Jesus said, you do it. (laughs) So they're being compelled to get out of their 
their comfort zone and what they think is in the realm of possibilities. Jesus is expanding their horizons, which is amazing. So that evening they fed them and then we're going to look at, if you can go to the the next slide, please, Dennis. So I'm going to read it out in the Amplified Bible. So Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. Immediately, so that evening it was, immediately he directed the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. While he sent the crowds away, so Jesus sent the crowds away. He sent the the disciples out first. Verse 23, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. So there, there goes Jesus again, trying to get some space away from the crowds. When, he, when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was already a long distance from land. It was about three miles out, all the research that I did said. And it was tossed and battered by the waves, for the wind was against them. Next one, please, Dennis. Just read the whole story first. And in the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they said, oh, that's really cool, Jesus. You're the son of God. No. (laughs) They were terrified, which is funny. It's great, I think. And said, it's a ghost. Of course, that's their first reaction. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, he didn't let them stay there. Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Peter replied to him, Lord, if it is really you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the effects of the wind, he was frightened and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately again, Jesus extended his hand and he caught him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him with awe-inspired reverence, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I love that. That was a good reaction, I think, in all of it. So um, can we go to the next one, please, Dennis? Thank you. So this is the Sea of Galilee. It's a little smaller than I would have hoped to to come up on the screen. But um, some, some versions of the Bible call it a lake. But it was actually quite a big and deep body of water. And it was subject to, um, because of its elevation and where it's positioned in the mountains that were near it, it was subject to sudden and random strong winds. And it said it could produce waves up to 10 metres high. So they were 
Um, at Bethsaida, the first top right cross that I've put on there, rather messily, um, that's where they were when the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 happened. And they were heading to Capernaum, but the wind blew them off course a little. So that's just a bit of an idea of, of where they were in that part of the world. So um, that's a lot of people. I was thinking, how was there wind and waves on a lake or a, a bed of water like that? It wasn't actually the ocean. But yes, historically, and the disciples, some of them were fishermen, so they knew that that was a possibility. Um, so next slide, please, Dennis. Thank you. So the first thing we want to note is Jesus shows up in the storm. So um, in, in that, we can see, I won't read it out again for time, but we notice when the storm happened, Jesus was there, wasn't he? He showed up. I, I imagine that inside that boat, when the disciples got in there, I imagine they were probably both grieving on one hand for John the Baptist and really excited about what they had just seen Jesus do. Can you imagine that? They had this massive crowd and there was, there was no dial of pizza, anything like that. And um, Jesus said, you feed them. And a small boy provided only, you know, five loaves and two fish. And there were 12 baskets of leftovers after 5,000 men plus women and children on, on top of that were fed. So they'd be in the boat. They'd be really pumped, really excited and um, probably trying to get a bit of resting because they knew that Jesus had more tasks for them on the other side. And then all of a sudden, oh, a storm comes and then the boat's getting tossed around by these waves. And then in the, the still, still of the night, but in the midst of the storm, here comes Jesus walking on water. Could you imagine your reaction? <laughs> often think about what I, I... I think terrified would be the first reaction. Definitely totally out of the realm of um, normal possibilities um, for Jesus to come walking on the water. I could just imagine the expression on his face. But he was there. And you see in Matthew chapter 8, so they've had a previous time of seeing the authority of Jesus at work. I'll just, I'll read it out really quickly. Matthew chapter 8 verse 23 to 27. Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep and his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful? O you of little faith. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea And there was great calm. So the men marvelled, saying, Who can this be? Even the wind and the sea obeys him. And another translation says, What sort of man is this? (laughs) I love it. He wasn't just a man, was he? He's the son of God. He's God in flesh. Amazing. So... 
Jesus wasn't with them this time when the wind and the waves were happening, but he arrived in a great manner, didn't he? They were stuck in the middle, being tossed by the sea and the, and the wind. And it said the wind was against them. I feel like this is a picture of the church and our lives, isn't it? When the disciples got into that boat to get away from the crowds for a while, they were gathering, they were telling stories about Jesus and they were encouraging each other and they were also fighting against the opposition. And life can feel like that for us, especially right now. If you, if you have a look at what's going on in the world and look at that, you can feel like the world's against the church on every angle. But you know what? Jesus is here. Where, where was the bumpy sea? was under the feet of Jesus. And, and that's where our circumstances are. When we put Jesus as our Lord and Saviour in our life, we can put those bumpy circumstances under the feet of Jesus and sail straight across it like Peter did. Yeah. So what a wonderful reassurance to know that when our life gets choppy and we can't seem to get where we think we need to be, Jesus is there, just where we need him. He's always there. But remember those circumstances in your life, being, having Jesus in your heart and giving him your life doesn't mean there's no more choppy seas. What it means is Jesus is there to help you sail over the top of them. Yes, and come out on the other side praising him. Next slide, please, Dennis. That's it. Thank you. So answer the storm with faith. That's what Peter did. Got a lot to learn. I I can reassure everyone I'm not there yet. (laughs) I'm encouraging me with this as well. Try to do it, answer any storm in life with faith. So... When they all they were all terrified. It doesn't single out who wasn't terrified. It says they were all terrified. It's a ghost. But immediately Jesus said, Take courage. It's I. Do not be afraid. So Peter replied to him, I love it. Peter seems to open his mouth before he thinks. But this time it was a good instance of that, wasn't it? He's opened his mouth with faith. Faith came out. Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. That's cool. It's yeah. <laughs> amazing. And, and Jesus said, come. So Peter did. He got out of the boat onto the choppy waves and he stayed up for a while, didn't he? Yeah. He stayed up. I, I just think that's great. So I think Jesus wanted to get the disciples ready to deal with things by faith when he was not going to be with them anymore in flesh. You see the the miracles building and this time it was more about what Peter could do. Yes, Jesus said, 
Jesus showed them he could walk on water, but he's showing the disciples Peter can walk on water when he's carrying my authority. Imagine what we can do when we have Jesus in the form of the Holy Spirit in us and working through us. We don't just have the authority of Jesus on loan for a little while like the disciples did then. When they received the Holy Spirit and when we receive the Holy Spirit, we have him in us, the authority of Jesus. That is amazing. And I just want to encourage everyone with that. Next time a really choppy situation happens, try and just address it head on. Meet it head on. Don't run from it. Don't be fearful. Walk into it with faith. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Speak some things out. And remember, you have the same authority in you that Peter had on him when he was able to walk on water. That's amazing. Yeah. And I love that just just like in the boat, we come and we gather together and we share stories, don't we? We share stories of what's happened and we praise Jesus together. Um, next slide, please. So keep your eyes on Jesus. So when he saw the effects of the wind, that's Peter, he was frightened and he began to sink. But he remembered to cry out, didn't he? Lord, save me. Because he knew Jesus could. And even though he wasn't a fisherman, sorry, he was a fisherman, Peter, um, it seems he didn't have a lot of um, success in keeping himself afloat. He needed Jesus. And Jesus immediately, I love that word, immediately, Jesus extends his hand and caught him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Yeah. Have you ever experienced that feeling when you've, you've been really full of faith for a miracle for someone? Yes, Lord, I believe you're going to heal them. And, and the moment you sort of step out to pray, you have these doubts. Oh, but last time I prayed for someone, I didn't see them get healed. And all, all this doubt starts flooding in. Well, you're in good company. <laughs> Excuse me. Only one cough, though. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so Peter, Peter doubted. He just walked on water. That's incredible. And then he had a moment of doubt immediately after. So take courage. You know, in, a, in our journey of faith, there are times you're human, but just cry out to Jesus and he'll take you on forward to the next thing. So he showed all of the disciples, including those of us in future who read the story later, what it looks like when we walk in the authority of Jesus, when we keep our eyes on Jesus. Ross and I spend quite a bit of time looking at the world, the news, Um, not on TV news, but news that's happening around the world because we consider it very, very important to keep our eye on 
what's going on in the world because of the times that we live in. And you can get bogged down in that. (laughs) You can do too much of it. Um, So here Peter reminds us to make sure we keep looking up. Make sure for us that we're spending just as much time reading in the Bible what God's, how Jesus has the victory and what God's got in store for those who love him. Oh, thanks, Jen. I've actually got one down here, but thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, so very important to keep our eyes on Jesus. As soon as Peter took his attention off the Lord and started to go, oh, I'm going to sink, he did sink. Yeah. But um, even, even though Jesus rebukes him, I think it's a great lesson for us too. Yeah, he just said, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Because Jesus knows what the potential is for us. He knew what the potential was for, Jesus, for Peter. Peter's potential, Jesus knew what was to come. He knew how powerfully he was going to use Peter. And I think Jesus loved that he was so impetuous and said, you know, tell me to come out there too. I think that's a great attitude because Jesus knew. Yeah, he was. He was the only disciple that stepped out of the boat. Exactly. And I think we need to focus on that. So keep pressing in, studying God's word. Make sure that's where you're looking the most. But also don't have your head in the sand. We do need to have a look at what's going on around us, especially um, when things so significant happen like they happened yesterday and are still happening today in Israel. Yes, it's very important. Next slide, please, Dennis. Another important thing to do, get back in the boat. So when, when they got into the boat, they got into the boat. Notice Jesus got back in too. What happened? The wind ceased. So as soon as they were back in the boat, it calmed down. Um, I'm not saying that getting back in the boat makes the wind calm. That's not what happened, but um, that's what happened then. Because Jesus showed us previously that he did have authority over the wind and the waves. And then what did they do? Those in the boat, they worshipped him. And I I love what the Amplified Bible puts there with awe-inspired reverence. Mm. They didn't didn't just say, that was really cool, both of you. Mm. They were in awe. Suddenly the penny dropped. He's not just our Messiah. He truly, he is the son of God. That's great. So that's what they did in the boat. This miracle gave them the revelation that Jesus wasn't just the Messiah, he was the Son of God. And it gave him understanding of his authority. And like I've presented the boat like the church, I want to encourage you. Number one, don't stay in the boat. So we come here, we encourage each other, we learn more about the Lord, we hear about stories that um, has happened in our lives. I love sharing time. It's great. But don't just stay there in your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Get out of your comfort zone. Tell someone about Jesus. 
Give to someone that's been mean to you. Do something extravagant. Step out of the boat for a moment and see what Jesus will do through you. That's my encouragement to me. That's my encouragement to you. So in conclusion, for Peter to walk on water, he needed to know and believe the authority of Christ. He needed to step out of his comfort zone, quite literally. (laughs) He needed to keep his focus on Jesus and he needed to humble himself enough to cry out when he stumbled. I think in our lives, there's lots of storms going on. Keep our, our focus on Jesus, but also know who you are and what you're capable of with Jesus in you. Don't forget to step out of the boat. But when you have, come back on Sunday and tell us all about it because it will encourage us to do the same. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you chose us. We're just vessels, Lord, and we get to see your mighty hand work through our lives in big ways and little ways. But thank you that you encourage us, you forgive us, and you give us new opportunities if we fail, Lord, as well. Thank you so much that we are so privileged to have that happen in our lives. And I pray for each and every one of us here that this week there'll be a Peter walking on water moment in our lives where something truly miraculous will happen through us that we are not capable of in our own strength. But we'll be able to come back and give you all the glory for it, Lord, and encourage someone else in it. Thank you, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by Wattle City Church. If you Google Wattle City Church, you'll find us on Anchor, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, and a whole bunch of other platforms. Feel free to listen. We pray that you'll be encouraged by this message and by other messages that you listen to. We praise God and we pray blessings upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Everybody can hear me? Look at each other. Turn around and look at each other. What do you see? Look at each other. What do you see? Do you see anything? Brothers and sisters. I see the love of Jesus. You see the love of Jesus. What else? Image of God. Amen. Say to each other, I can see the image of God in you. God loves you. God loves you. You know John, what, what John 10, 10 says? The devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. We leave. We, 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 we tell me, does a thief go in an empty house? No. no. Why? Because no one wants you. But nothing there. 
But you got something inside, that's why he comes to you. Yes. Wants to steal something out of you. Yes. Do you know that? Yes. The thief doesn't go in an empty house where there is nothing there. He looks for a house where there is a lot of, you know, stuff inside. So each one of you, those who confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior, you have something inside and that is the image of God. He wants to take that away from us. Amen. Okay. If you have your Bible... Let's open our Bible to Matthew, chapter 21. Matthew, St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. Saints, I may be speaking here a few, few uh, words might hurt you, but it's not from me. It's whatever is written in the Bible, that is what I am going to share today. Amen? Amen? Yes. So the Bible reads, when we read here, verse 18 and verse 19, the first part of verse 19, Now in the morning... As he returned into the city, he hungered. As in the morning, normally everybody is hungry. You know, when you get, get out of your sleep, you brush your teeth and you, you want to have a good breakfast. Everybody gets hungry. Likewise, early in the morning, when Jesus... was on his way, he was hungry. Oh, you can read there. He was hungry. So when he saw a fig tree, wow, how many of you like figs? How many of you like figs? Amen. You know, when um, the fig trees, they bear fruit, when it is not picked, they are still on the tree. They don't fall. So, Jesus was hungry and he saw the fig tree and he went to the fig tree and started looking for fruits. But the Bible says, apart from the leaves, he couldn't see anything. Nothing there. During the fig season, the tree should have had a lot of fruit. Or maybe out of season, the, the figs were not picked, but the figs should have been on the tree. And that is what came to Jesus, that, oh, I see a fig tree there, there must be fruits there. So he went up. How about early morning, you get up, and you are hungry, you open your fridge and you find nothing. What do you do? 
Okay. Will you close it properly? Bang it! You're gonna bang the door. Nothing inside. And you start looking for other places. But Jesus didn't do that. He couldn't find any, any fruit. So today, from that scripture, it teaches us a very good lesson. Take for example, if I am the fig tree, or you are the fig tree, and Jesus comes to you, How many of you can raise your hand? You have plenty of fruits. See, you read there, apart from the leaves, he couldn't find anything. The tree was healthy. The branches were healthy. The leaves were healthy. The tree didn't attract Jesus. Like for example, our talents, our education, our money, our strength is not going to attract Jesus. Our preaching, our knowledge of the Bible is not going to attract Jesus. We learn that from the fig tree. When he went there, apart from the leaves, nothing. He didn't go there to see how, how uh, strong the tree is, how strong the branches are. No, he doesn't come to us to see how much money we have, how much well, uh, uh, the, the big house we have, the car we have, the clothes we wear. It's not concerned about that. Whatever we have asked, He has already given us. He's not concerned about all those things. Because He knows that He has given whatever we ask. We go down on our knees. Like yesterday we were discussing, you know, in our, our country is a small, as a dot in the map, Fiji Islands, and there are so many Samoa, Tonga, uh, and, and so many in, in Africa. When people are in need, because they the government doesn't support them. No, not like our Australian government. He gives you every fortnight bang, bang in the bank, bang in the bank. So, people here, we don't go on our knees to ask God to provide for our needs. That's the biggest difficulty in spreading the gospel to others. Very, very difficult. But in other countries, like our, our country, when people are in need, they go on their knees, they pray, they ask God. They don't go here and there. 
Their government doesn't give them every fortnight money to spend. So God is not concerned about how rich we are. He is concerned how much fruit we have gathered. And what fruit is Jesus looking in us? Look at Galatians. Galatians. Chapter 5. Uh, before that, we read Matthew 16, 26. Whatever we have asked, God has given us. But the Bible says, What profiteth a man if he gains the whole world and loses his life? How about Jesus comes in the evening and says, Knocks your door. Today is the last day. Sorry. <laughs> what are we going to do? Praise God. Flip, start flapping. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, not today. Give me another day. No, no. That's it. So it's time now. Now is the time, as Pastor was uh, sharing from here, our sin took him to the cross. Just imagine you have one small cut in your finger or anywhere you know, in your body. As soon as the blood spills, you get the pain. So how many wounds did Jesus have on his back, on his forehead, on his palms and on his feet? And blood was spilling from everywhere. And he was wearing a cloth and when your back is all full of blood and wounds, what happens? <coughs> the clothes will stick there. And what the Roman soldiers did? They took that uh, shirt out, not slowly. You put a bandage on your wound. Next day you want to remove that bandage. What happens? You just pull it out like that? No. You do it slowly, slowly. <coughs> and the, 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 what you call the whip they used in, in those days. You know, I, I should have brought a photo. You know, there's one, one uh, whip with seven branches. Weaved with steel with uh, broken bottles, sharp stones, so uh, uh, seven branches all weaved with all this. And when, when it was used, it goes on the body and it's stuck there. And when they pull it, the flesh also is pulled. So that, we have to understand how painful was it when he was hanging there on the cross? And hanging for not 
One hour or two hours? Three hours. Three hours he had been hanging there and the blood was dripping from his veins. Slowly, slowly. For who? Us. For us. And now, Jesus is looking for fruits in us. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, there are nine fruits. He is looking inside each and every one who professes as a Christian. The first one is love. Where is love? This world has changed the meaning of love. You know, when two are attracted to each other, they say, oh, they're in love. No, that is attraction, but where is the love? If that's a pure love, then why so many divorces? Why? What is the love of God in us? And Jesus is looking for love. Love each other. Love others. Love your neighbors. Love your enemies, he said. Don't get this. Love your enemies. Somebody slaps you on the right, give him the left. Can we do that? Okay, you throw me a people, I'm going to throw a brick. That is what we do. What is love? The, 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 the meaning of love has been changed. It's a compromise everywhere. No love. You go all over. You see what is happening in uh, everybody is against uh, Israel. All the Israel is surrounded by all Arabian countries. If you are surrounded, and yes, we are surrounded by all the as last time I shared, when God kicked out Lucifer from heaven. One third of the angels were thrown out with it. I don't know how many millions of angels God had there. No way I say how many God created. But one third were kicked out with it. So imagine if there were one million or ten million. One third of ten million. Where are they? Where are they? They're sitting beside you. This world is overcrowded. We are not only here, not only the human being, but they are also here. What are they doing? What are those thrown angels doing? They are evil angels. They must be doing something.
Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. These nine fruits, Jesus is looking in each and every Christian. Each and every one of you. So what are these fruits? Obedience is also a fruit. Faithfulness is another fruit. Amen. Amen. Loyalty is another fruit. Obedience is another fruit. So first, what Jesus is saying, I didn't come here to see how you are planted, how strong you are, how wealthy you are. How prosperous you are. How educated you are. He's asking each one of us, where is the fruit? What is the fruit? Like for example, if he comes and stands here, and he asks, where is the fruit? Whatever you are, I gave you. Yes, of course, we have blessed us in every area of our life. A good family, children, grandchildren, grandchildren. Amen. We got our, our member in um, uh, Bedford, he has 23 grandchildren. Wow. I said, wow! We have asked God, but He is asking, where is the fruit? Because inside the fruit there is something. What is it? Seed. Seed. What is seed used to? Plant. So God is looking for fruit. If you have a fruit, Definitely, you're going to plant somewhere. Yes. Hmm? Or you're going to keep it inside your pocket and tell the seed, please grow, please grow, please grow. It's not going to grow. No way. It has to be planted in the right place, in the right environment. So God is looking for fruit and the first fruit he wants is love. And all other fruits are associated with love. Yes, sir. Number two is joy. Yes. Where do we find joy? In front of the television. You keep changing the channels. Oh, this must be good. That one must be good. This must be good. <laughs> You're looking for joy, but you can't find joy. Where is the real joy in us? No, Jesus. If Jesus is inside us, yes. you will yes. have joy. Yes. If you have love of Jesus, joy will be automatically there. 
It should be in every believer. Everyone. So Jesus has come looking for fruit. Maybe he's looking for fruit today. Our God is not dead, he's alive. He visits us. Where? When we sing hymns, he is there. When we worship, he is there. When we listen to the words of God, he is there. So did you hear him talk to you? Hello. Okay, my brother is sitting there and the television is here. What brings the, 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 the message from there to here? To there? What is in between? What is in between? I wave. Amen? There is a wave. So when God speaks to us, should we put our antenna inside our pocket? No. Where do we put our antenna? To receive a television, uh, <laughs> what you call, whatever comes in the television, our antenna is on the roof. And the highest place pointing to the right place. Then you can get whatever you want. So as Christians, as believers, we say that we are the children of God, but where is our antenna? <laughs> Do you have the right frequency, you know, when you tune it? <laughs> Until it comes to the right place. <laughs> then you start hearing. <laughs> is that right? Yes. So are we tuned? If we are tuned, yes, we should have those nine fruits. When Jesus says, when he asks, how much you have gathered? Yes, Lord, I have gathered this much. Are we faithful? Faithful in everything, where nobody sees us, in small things, in big things, are we faithful? For example, if you go to a supermarket, you buy a grocery, instead of your card you try to give them cash. You give them cash and they give you two, three dollars extra and change by mistake. What do you do? That's my bonus. It hmm? happens. So many people are there who are not faithful, not obedient, they will keep that money. But the right, the people with the right heart will never, oh, sorry, sorry, you have done this. You made a mistake. Amen. So we have to be very, very careful because God is watching us and He is seeking fruits in us. As pastor said, we can't play church. 
No. You can't be some, somebody here and somebody outside. No. So who can we fool? And who are we fooling? We can fool the pastor. We can fool the leaders. But can you fool God? No. 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 He sees the heart. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden from God. Amen. When He sees us, he sees through the bone to the marrow. Yes. That is how he sees. You know, he's sitting there. When you, when you, okay, when you fly, when you go high in the sky, as, as, as the plane goes out, you can look from the window. Oh, and slowly, slowly things started getting small, 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 yes. until you go above the clouds. So when God sees us, how He sees us? We are small, small fellows here on the earth? No. He sees us like we are. Because He's God. It's not that, you know, God is so far away and He, he can't see us. No. He sees us. He sees us. He wants to see Faithfulness in us. He wants to see love. The, the Bible itself is based on love. All the other blessings in the Bible are connected to some sort of condition. Every blessing we receive are conditional. And the blessing of love, no condition. No unconditional love. That is why he was hanging there on the cross. He didn't ask you and I, I'm going to go hang myself there. But that is a condition. If you don't confess, I'll come down with you. He didn't do that. Love is unconditional. It's not when he's a rich fellow, then you, you know, you love him because he's got a lot of mal inside. A lot of money. No, it's unconditional. Like uh, Sister Helen was showing that the kids in the, uh, what do you call it, orphanage. Did it touch your heart? There are pe people and kids worse than them, those who don't even have a place to stay, a meal to eat. And what do our kids do? When you give them whatever they want, they'll just finish half, half is wasted. I used to tell my grandkids, don't do that. Because in the world, people are starving. They go to the rubbish bin, they dig the rubbish bin, whatever they get, that's what they eat. If we have love, 
we have to support them as well. Amen. The fruits. Peace. Wow. How many of you have peace? Yes. Peace. Everybody has peace. Amen. What did Jesus say? The peace I give you is not like the world gives you. What kind of peace the world gives us? Hello, brother. Don't worry, sister. Don't worry. Everything will be okay. Fine, fine, fine. That, that is what we, we normally do. But Jesus says, no. The peace I give you, no one gives you. The world cannot give that peace. But those who have tasted the peace of God, they will understand what the real peace is, what the real joy is, what the real love is. Amen? Amen. Forbearance. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. See, when you read that nine gifts, they are in three categories. One, two, three. Three are inwards. Three are outwards. And three are upwards. <laughs> Amen? Amen. So that is how these nine gifts are. You have to have the love of God. You have to have the peace of God. You have to have the faith. Faith. Forbearance, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness. Are you faithful to God? The most important one is, are we faithful to God? The day you were baptized, how many of you remember what you said that day? I don't think anybody remembers. The promise you made to God. How many of you really, really remember the vows you made in your wedding? Yes. <laughs> yes. Forgotten? Yes. Yeah. Maybe. We <coughs> must have forgotten what, what we said. Any lately married? Anyone got just married lately? No. Did you say that vow? Only one thing they, they know, I do. When the pastor asks, I do. And after I do, no do. Nothing, all gone. So if we are not faithful to each other, how can we be faithful to God? Simple. These are the things God is, Jesus is looking inside us. Look at uh, a 
Saulo. King Saul. He went looking for his ass and he met uh, Prophet Samuel and Samuel anointed him as the king of Israel because all the Jews were looking for a king. So Samuel anointed him as a king and then he gave him some instructions Okay, follow these instructions. When you go away from here, down in the valley, you're going to find um, some prophets. Go and stay with the prophets. When Saul came and stayed with the prophets, he also became a prophet. He started prophesying. And then, an evil spirit started torturing him. You know, it's so funny, a prophet is possessed by an evil spirit. And then when you read the tragic death of Saul. See, the biggest problem was he became a king, he had a crown, he had the uh, king's suit, he had soldiers all around, everything, he had money, he had faith, everything. He had a big kingdom. problem with him was he had no fruit. He was unfaithful, disobedient. Yes. He disobeyed what uh, Prophet uh, Samuel told him. So what happened to his life? So we as we say we are Christians, we have to have these fruits in us. As pastor was saying, is your name written in the book of life? If we miss one, okay, you sit for an exam. It's good, it's nine here, but in the school they give you ten questions. If you miss one, if you 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 don't um, take the right question answers, if you miss one, what happens? Will you pass? Yes. You'll fail. You go for your driving license. You go for your knowledge test and your hazard test. You miss one? No. Sorry, the computer says sorry. You have failed this test. Why did God tell Moses to come in the morning on Mount Sinai right on the top and meet me there? Why only Moses? He said, don't bring anybody. Even the animals don't let them graze in front of that mound. Nobody has to even touch the mountain. Why did God say only you? Nobody else. I was wondering when I was reading, what about all the animals on the mount? What about all the bears on the mount? But then I realized it was a rocky mountain. 
but the bed should have been there. But when God came down on the mountain, he came with fire. The God we say is so, so, so holy. And if we are thinking that one day we'll go, God is going to call us in the rapture. If your antenna is not right, if your frequency is not right, he might call you, Silas. Or when we what is it? The trumpet sound. Will you be able to hear that? These are the things, small things we have to understand. It's not easy to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, let me tell you one story. Somehow the other one guy entered and went there and when he saw Jesus on the door of heaven, he started pleading, please, Lord, please. Jesus said, hey, I can't let you in. I can't let you in. So he started pleading, pleading. Jesus said, okay, go. I'll give you one chance, go in. When he went inside, when he saw everything so holy there, slowly he came out and said, Lord, I think I should be out because I can't fit myself inside. So heaven is such a holy place. Don't think that it's easy for you and I to just go there. No way. No way. We have to prepare ourselves. We have to prepare ourselves because all these things is very important in our life. God doesn't want to uh, bring all the rubbish into heaven. Will he? No. Because heaven itself is the holy place. Or maybe you may think, you be thinking, oh, I worship God so much. Whether you worship, you don't worship God, is still God. Whether you come to change, you don't come to change, God is still God. It's us. We have to prepare ourselves to go there. To say is very easy, yes. When you ask them how many of you are going to go to heaven, every hand will be there. But you look down, deep down. Sometimes you may ask, Lord, I have done so much to other people, I've done this, I've done that. And Jesus also said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you, you gave me a drink. When, when I was naked, you gave me a clothes. So you may ask, God, God, when did I see? That is not the right picture. Because in Jesus' time, there was no such table. There was just stone tables. You will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you without clothes? 
we say, when you did to the least, you did it to me. So when we do it for others, keep in mind that we are doing for God. That is called the love of God. Then you will, you will have the joy once you do that. When you see the joy to the person who have done that, you will feel that joy. You will feel that love, a compassion. Amen? Amen. This is not very heavy. Hello? Not very heavy. The weight must be about one, two kg. But to carry this is very difficult. It's very difficult to carry the word of God in your heart. It's not simple. It says, the word of God is a two-edged sword. It cuts both sides. When I speak from here, it might cut you, but it's also cutting me. It cuts both sides. Amen. So it's not easy. To confess I am a Christian. Can you confess that in front of Jesus? That is the main part. Can we confess in front of Jesus? Yes Lord, I am yours. He's going to ask you where are the fruits? Where are the fruits? I know you have been doing this, you have been doing that, you have been praying, but Jesus is looking for the fruits, only fruits inside us, nothing else. He has blessed us in everything. And those who love God, they carried the word of God with them. And you know there are so many in the world today. The people, real people who carried the love of God. You can see, the Bible says, you will know them by the fruits. We have the fruit in us. Yes. We are His. Yes. And God bless you all. Thanks for listening to this podcast by Wattle City Church. If you Google Wattle City Church, you'll find us on Anchor, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, 
and a whole bunch of other platforms. Feel free to listen. We pray that you'll be encouraged by this message and by other messages that you listen to. We praise God and we pray blessings upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I'm going to share with you as someone that I know we all know it, but I want us to refresh our minds and challenge our minds and think about it and compare it also with another sermon and see if it is going to give us the same message. So my message is going to come from 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to 7, and I'm going to compare it with Exodus 14, 21 to 31. Second Kings chapter 6 verse 1 to 7. That's the first part. And the second reading is Exodus, 20, uh, Exodus 14, 21 to 31. So I'm going to start by reading Second Kings chapter 6 verse 1 to 7. And then I will read the other one later. So just put your finger somewhere there and uh, wait and we'll read together. Second Kings 6, 1 to 7. The command of the prophets said to Elijah, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Would you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting a tree, the iron axe said, Fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord. He cried out. It was borrowed, the man of God asked. Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. All right, so let's go to Exodus. Strange reading today. Exodus chapter 14, verse 21 to 31. Exodus chapter number 14, verse 21 to 31. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. With the wall of water on their right and on their left, the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch on the night, 
the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw into the con- into threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the daybreak and the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved the Israelites from the hands of Egyptians and the Israel and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. God bless you. Thank you so much, Dennis, for that. All right, let's go back to our reading. They don't even match a bit. Looks a bit funny for me to have those two passages. But, well, we just have to obey what the Spirit of the Lord says. So when you lose your cutting edge... Now, look at the first passage that we read. First, uh, Second Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. It's a very interesting story here about prophets and Elisha. So what did they want to do? They wanted to build a church. They agreed that it is time to build the church. And I want to use this one in a practical way. So in my sermon today, I'm going to use it Uh, as an example of putting Denise and Rose as leaders of Talbot and Ronnie and Matt as the leaders from where? Bialaba. So I'm just thinking of it this way. Imagine now we are here worshiping and serving the Lord and Denise and Rose and Matt and Ronnie, they feel, oh, we can't have enough of our worship here. We think this place is just so small for us. We need to move away. We need to plant a church. And so they decide they're going to talk to their Elijah. Who is who? Who is their Elijah? Stuart. Stuart. So they go and talk to him. Let's hope that Stuart has that grace of listening and, and, and accepting what is being requested. So Ronnie and Matt, they go and talk to Stuart and they say, we feel like it is time for us now to move. We need to start doing something. And Stuart says, sure, we're going to plant the church in Vienna and we're going to help you with that. And they go with Stuart and then Matt decides, okay, I'm going to go to, I'm going to ask Dennis to lend me with his car and accept 
so that you can go and cut the trees there and so that you can have poles to build the church in Vienna. So Dennis says, and make sure you bring it back. <laughs> and so, Matt goes there and he's so busy cutting the wood. He doesn't want to know what is going on. He's concentrating on the wood. He's not even bothered whether Stuart is looking at him or anything else is happening. He's just cutting the wood. And then all of a sudden, the accent falls. And then he realizes, now this is what Dennis said, make sure you bring it back. <coughs> what am I going to do? Then Ronnie says, you better talk to Stuart because you can't just go and tell Dennis that it fell into the water. So, Matt goes to Stuart and Stuart says, where did it fall? And the miracle happens. So that's how it happened. Let's go back to the passage now <laughs> before I continue. <laughs> okay. So, these people, they saw the need to build the church. Which was so good, and that's something that we can relate with ourselves as Water City Church Inc. And we all know that for us to plant a church or to build a church, we need to have great foundation, and there's those things that are needed for that. In our case, you might say, oh, no, Bialaba, they've not even built any church. But they had to build their church in Bialaba because they need that strategies. They have to set the strategies to start, okay, we're going to start a canvas. So how are we going to have it? Are we going to have it at the same time? Are we going to have it on a Monday because we have Sundays occupied? And so there are strategies. And so these are ways that we use to build the church. Going back to the passage, as they were talking about building the church, they decided that everybody needs to bring a pole. So, what does this mean when you look at the passage? It means that uh, everybody has to sacrifice their time and sacrifice their resources and their energy plus their prayers so that when whatever they are going to do, it will work out well. If we want to build God's church, we must be ready to sacrifice ourselves personally. We must be ready to sacrifice through labor, through finances, and also through prayers. Look at verse 3. They requested that the master would be there. And they felt that it would have been good if Elijah was with them. And that was a very wise decision. Why did they request to have Elijah with them? Then one of them said, would you please come with your servants? I will, Elijah replied. And he went with them. It was very, very good idea that they requested Elisha to go with him because they felt 
they would do well under the coverage of Elisha and also having him there with them. They believed that if Elijah was there with them, as well as them cutting the poles, he would be praying and interceding for them. And Elijah was there with them, and they made progress. And this encourages me, it tells me like, when you have the servant of God with you, it means that God's presence is also with you. In everything we do, if we want to prosper, we need to invite the presence of God to be with us all. Verse 5 is where the drama starts. He lost his power of service. The axe, the axe head fell and it was borrowed. You know, it is too tough to lose something that does not belong to you. Because you are the custodian and you must take good care of it. Imagine Matt has gone to Dennis and borrowed this accent and then Matt loses it. And he feels so frustrated. And I know Matt, out of the way he behaves, is someone who is always very responsible. If you give him a pen, he'll make sure he brings it back to you. He won't lose it, trust me. If you give him two sausages and you want them back, he will bring them back to you. <laughs> the same is with Dennis. He's a good painter. But he's also an accountant and an auditor. Whatever he gives to you, he will tell you, make sure you bring it back. Even now, borrow him a pen. He'll say, this is my pen. Use it, but make sure you bring it back. So this guy loses his accent and he, he feels so bad because it was borrowed. And so he goes to Elijah and tells him, Elijah is a great man, a prophet and successor of Elijah. He's a mentor. He's trying to mend on this young group that is growing up. The young men lived in a location that was too small for them. So they approached Elijah and requested permission to expand their dwelling place. And Elijah grants them their request. And so the sons decide to cut down these trees near Jordan River so that they can build a larger place to live. And then as they were cutting these trees, the axe-head falls. Why do you think that it fell down? Personally, I think this guy was so busy cutting, he concentrated on cutting the tree. He didn't check to see if the accent was okay or it was coming loose or anything. He didn't even bother to know if Elijah was watching him or not. He was busy cutting the tree. And the same is happening to us as Christians. Yes, we are saved. We have Jesus in our hearts. And every day we have this life going on. Things are becoming so tough. And we are praying, but as well as praying, we come to a point that we feel now it's not about waiting upon the Lord. It's also us taking action. So we are busy doing our things trying to get all the medications organized, 
trying to make sure that all our building is organized. And we forget to ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us. We forget that Elijah is still watching, is there with us. We forget to look at the tool that we are using, whether it's loose or not. And then it falls down. And then that's when you realize, I wish I was checking on that. We are so much planning for Christmas, thinking about what to buy. And we forget to pray to God that he will guide us in this journey. We forget to pray God for safety, good health. We forget to serve God, even to give to God because we want to give ourselves the best. So we forget that and concentrate on this thing that we want to do. Anyway, the axe head falls down in, into the water and sinks. Any steel that gets into water doesn't float, it sinks. <laughs> so the young man cries to Elijah, explaining to him what has happened. Then Elijah responds, asking where it fell in water. And this young man shows him, and Elijah throws a stick into the water. And this causes the axe head to float on the surface. Now, the lost axe head has been recovered. And this is a miracle. And holds a big and great significance. Let's talk about the axe head. It is the cutting edge of the tool for productivity. Represented by the young man's ability to work effectively and fulfill his responsibility. But when he lost it, what did that imply to us? Or what does that imply? It, it represents the moments in our lives where we lose our effectiveness, passion, and spiritual zeal. The Holy Spirit is our cutting edge for service. My question is, where is your concentration? I'm imagining this guy cutting the tree. Maybe he made a rhythm. And he was enjoying cutting it. And his concentration was just on cutting, but he didn't look at what was going on around. But when it fell and sank, I'm very sure this, the rhythm stopped. We get to thinking we are so important and we focus on ourselves more than God. The big trees they needed to use in this project, they grew along the edge of Jordan River and it was all muddy. And when the accident fell, this guy was shocked and he felt like he would, not, he would not even get it back. He felt stressed. And his mind came to a standstill. And he was thinking on how he's going to repay the owner, about, uh, pay, pay him back. 
But he decided now he's going to cry out to his master, who was Elisha. And that is what happens. You are busy doing things and all of a sudden something happens. And I always ask myself, is it God's plan or Satan's plan or is is it just normal? Now, if I may ask, and I don't know the answer, do you think that the accident falling into water was God's plan or Satan's plan? Don't answer me. (laughs) But I'll I'll give you the answer. I, I think it was God's plan on one side. It was Satan's plan on the other side. But I think it was a reminder that God wanted him to realize that his servant was around and is the one who can organize everything. He doesn't have any power. So he took everything to himself. He forgot about God. And when the Lord is not there, remember Adam and Eve. When God's presence was not there, what happened? Eve got deceived. Satan got the chance. So the presence of God moves, presence of Satan comes in. And that happens to every Christian. Because sometimes when we feel like we are doing very well, we forget about God and we just want to do our things independently. And then all of a sudden things happen the other way around. Oh, I better go back to God. God, you know how much I love you. The man was working so hard, but he forgot that the power source was gradually slipping away. And that was a very common thing. They were doing this, thinking that they are doing it in the right way. And the others, I believe, they were wise. They kept checking their tools. But this guy's tool misbehaved, and it was borrowed. Elisha's action. He didn't say, what happened? He didn't blame him. Why are you not checking on it? No, he didn't do that. Elisha had faith, and he relied on God. And he searched God's intervention in this. He didn't give up. He didn't even show the guy, oh no, what are we going to do? No. He was calm. And they asked him, where was it? And he felt the Lord was going to help him. And so, after this guy talked to Elijah. Elijah asked him, and he just took a stick and pointed, and it was recovered. Now, after this one, I'm very sure that the, the sons or the prophets, they were so grateful that the, 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 that the, the accent was found, or it was floating, and they could get it, and Everything was going on well. But it also gave them another thing to to think about. That despite all what is happening, despite losing the cutting edge or the accent, God was still able to retrieve it and restore. 
So you, they were encouraged that they should not give up when challenges arise. The same with us Christians. Sometimes things are not so good. Sometimes we feel we've tried all we can. We've been praying all the much we can pray and nothing is happening. We should not give up. In fact, when things are turning not so good, keep praying and end up even thanking the Lord for opening this opportunity because out of it, there's going to be a testimony. Let's go back to the, uh, the other chapter of Exodus 14, 21 to that one. It talks about the Israelites escaped from Egypt and we know the story. They were led by Moses and this was after enduring slavery for many years. And the Bible says that as they were journeying, they looked ahead and they could see Red Sea and when they looked behind they could see Pharaoh's army following them in chariots and so the Israelites were so worried because it's either we get into the water and die or we stay here and the army finds us and kills us and they were a bit worried but Moses was firm and he was waiting for God's voice and God's command And as they approached the sea and they got there to the sea, God's command to Moses was stretch out your hand over the sea. And the strong wind blew all night, driving the waters of the Red Sea. And the waters separated and they walked in to cross. And the Bible says the Egyptians' army followed because they were commanded by Pharaoh to follow the Israelites. So they ran into the sea together, following them. But as they were getting in, the Bible says the soil and the mud was getting stuck into their chariots and their horses, and it was tough on them. And Moses was already on the other side, and he stretches hand and the waters came back together and they all died. Not even one survived. What do we learn about that? Again we see there is God's power and faithfulness. We see God's supernatural power and intervention on behalf of Israelites. We learn also we need to trust the Lord in times of uncertainty. The Israelites, they were feeling like they are going to lose it because the army is following them and they are heading to the sea. But Moses was with them and he knew what he's going to do. And this encourages us to have faith and trust in God even in difficult times, knowing that he will make a way when it seems impossible. The third thing we learn about this is liberation from slavery. The Israelites, they had accept, uh, escaped from Israel, which symbolized liberation from slavery and oppression. And this was to teach us the importance of freedom 
and the pursuit of justice in our own lives. Reminding us to stand against any form of injustice and strive to uh, achieve personal and collective liberation. The consequences of disobedience. The last thing that we learn from this chapter. That the Egyptians' pursuit of the Israelites, despite the plagues they had witnessed, and the clear signs of God's intervention, demonstrates the consequences of ignoring God's warnings and persisting in wrongdoing. And that's what we do sometimes. God's, God wants us not to do things and... We just want to do it even though we know it is wrong. We cannot mix the presence of God and the darkness of the devil. In summary, the story is talking about uh, the story pertaining the Red Sea in Exodus and the story about uh, about the cutting edge in Second Kings, they all have one similarity. That we can see there's God's power, trust, liberation, and obedience. And also we need to have that unwavering faithfulness to God and hope that we can find his divine intervention. My question to you is this. When do we turn back to God? Is it all the time or only the time when we are in difficulty times? We need to turn to the Lord all the time. Turning to God in times of spiritual decline and taking personal responsibility for regaining our spiritual passion and effectiveness. No matter how long we have lost our cutting edge, God is able to restore it. You can trust his power and provision as we actively seek him, recover our zeal and effectiveness in serving him. We can all find restoration, renewed passion, and greater productivity in his service. And I have seen this Personally in my life. And that's why I love the song. Goodness of God. God has been so faithful to me. Even when things look tough. At times I remember. When my dad was there. I mean things were tough. I would just call dad. Dad this is not happening. And dad would encourage me. But now that is not there. God is there as a friend and as a father. And he's always there for us 24-7. All my life, God has been so faithful. And I just want to serve him. And I want to encourage you. Join me in this journey. Let us serve the Lord. Trust him in every situation. And he will make ways right for us. God bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by Wattle City Church. If you Google Wattle City Church, you'll find us on Anchor, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, and a whole bunch of other platforms.
feel free to listen. We pray that you'll be encouraged by this message and by other messages that you listen to. We praise God and we pray blessings upon you in Jesus' name. Amen.